Welcome to another episode of Follow the Brand. I am your host, Grant McGaw, CEO of Five Star BDM, a five-star personal branding and business development company. I want to take you on a journey that takes another deep dive into the world of personal branding and business development using compelling personal stories, business conversations, and tips to improve your personal brand. By listening to the Follow the Brand podcast series, you will be able to differentiate yourself from the competition and allow you to build trust with prospective clients and employers. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Make it one that will set you apart, build trust, and reflect who you are. Developing your five-star personal brand is a great way to demonstrate your skills and knowledge. If you have any questions for me or my guests, please email me at grant.mcgaugh, spelled M-C-G-A-U-G-H, at 5star BDM, B for brand, D for development, M for masters.com. Now let's begin with our next five-star episode on Follow the Brand. Healthcare reimbursement models are ever-changing, which requires the industry to seek out diversity in thought and experience to stay fiscally resilient in challenging times. Latasha Barnes understands the importance of financial operations to meet the needs of taking care of people. Resiliency in a highly competitive industry during challenging times has led her to see the healthcare system holistically when making key decisions. Patient flow and care continuum are paramount and top of mind when assessing supply utilization, patient security, industry benchmarks, and key performance indicators. The numbers don't always tell the whole story. You must understand the business operations to be an effective financial executive, says Latasha Barnes. Be intentional when framing opportunities in healthcare finance. Alternative career experiences can make you special because it gives you differentiation. As Chief Financial Officer of Bayfront Health, St. Petersburg, Latasha Barnes oversees all financial operations for the 480-bed regional hospital. Previously, she was CFO of Orlando Health Winnie Palmer Hospital for Women and Babies and Orlando Health Arnold Palmer Hospital for Children from 2018 to 2020 and played a leading role in financial, operational, and strategic initiatives for the organization. Latasha has more than 20 years of experience in healthcare finance. Before joining Orlando Health, she held leadership positions with HCA, most recently as CFO of Tampa Community Hospital. An experienced CPA, she also is a former auditor for Arthur Anderson and Deloitte & Touche. She earned a bachelor's degree in accounting from Tennessee State University in Nashville and holds CPA licenses in both Florida and Tennessee. Latasha is a member of the National Association of Black Accountants and has served on the board of directors for Central Florida Community Arts, Girls on the Run Central Florida and the African-American Chamber of Commerce Central Florida and was recently chosen as a nominee as Businesswoman of the Year honoree. 
Let us welcome Latasha Barnes to the Follow the Brand podcast, where we are building a five-star brand that you can follow. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Follow the Brand podcast. This is your host, Grant McGall. Yes, if you did not know from the intro, you probably just listened to. But what you don't know is that we are into our financial empowerment series. And I we have a wealth of healthcare executives, a wealth of information technologists that are out there, entrepreneurs and solopreneurs. And there are key components of understanding why finance is so important. So our guest today, uh, Latasha Barnes, CFO at one of the premier hospitals out in Tampa. I've known her for a few years in association with the National Association of Health Services Executives, and she's stellar. And I, I just love what she does. She just got a recent promotion. She's doing the big things. And I want to see more people that are like us getting these opportunities to uh, operate in the finance realm and then have a better understanding of it as well. So we're going to have a candid conversation with Latasha. Tell us a little bit more about herself and what makes her so impactful as a finance executive. So without further ado, Ms. Latasha Barnes. Thank you, Grant, for having me. I'm, I'm, it's such a pleasure to be on your podcast and talk a little bit about what I do and why it's important. And um, yeah, I'm just so happy to be here. Thanks so much. Well, that, you know, I, I was so happy you accepted. I said, yes, yes, yes. Did a little dance uh, for, for myself because I envy you because you, you, you're doing the thing that I think a lot of our audience needs to understand. And that's the finance and the healthcare system and understand really how that works from the, the payer world and right. the, uh, uh, you know, obviously the hospital world and the patient right. world. And really right. why that's important. So first, we're going to start with a simple question. That is, what you alluded to, why, why did you choose finance as a, a career path? Well, to be honest, um, I come from a family of, um, I won't say achievers. That's probably the wrong word. But they really um, pushed all of us. I'm an only child. And I had five boy cousins growing up. And so the six of us, we were really, you know, uh, encouraged to do well in school, to, you know, be well-rounded, you know, uh, get into a lot of sports, student government, et cetera, et cetera. And so I honestly had no idea what I wanted to major in once I got to college. All I knew is my mother told me, I will go to college and I will get a job. So in high school, I think it was the 11th grade, I took a bookkeeping class and I really enjoyed it. I, I don't, I couldn't even tell you what about it. I think it, it maybe was, you know, how my brain worked as I worked the problems and what it all stood for. And so I thought, okay, you know what? I think I found it. I'm going to be an accountant. So or I'm going to major in accounting. And so there started the journey and uh, through uh, once I graduated, I started working for a public accounting firm in Chicago, and I tested out a few different industries. I had healthcare clients, I had manufacturing clients, and what it boiled down to is I really decided I wanted to work for uh, a company that did something, not made something. And so for me, uh, that that's really the the start, and and I in, I enjoyed my healthcare clients, and so I ended up specializing in that throughout my career in public accounting. And then once I decided to uh, to leave that role, it was just a natural progression for me to seek out a uh, large healthcare company 
uh, probably closer to home. I mean, I've been in Chicago for a little while. And so I left that and I went to an internal audit department within um, at that point, I think it was the largest healthcare company in the country, HCA. And so that that's really how I got my start. I just decided I liked bookkeeping and okay, here we go. Mama said I have to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pay for these college, uh, these college <laughs> bills that keep coming to my door. Exactly. All right. All right. But you know, that that's wonderful that you know, you're the second person that got a great start in the HCA system. We, we had Andre Boyd on earlier you said they had some really good mentorship uh, programs uh-huh. and leadership programs. So he could uh-huh. fine tune, find his voice in his sea legs, let's say, in this industry mm-hmm. and move forward. And I know yeah. you've done something uh, similar to that. And help us understand what is it like working in the hospital? What is the financial flow uh, that that I'd say healthcare leaders need to understand? Mm-hmm. Uh, when they're trying to like trying to get funding for their projects or something to that effect, what happens in that kind of uh, operation? Right. So I really love to teach. So for me, I, I've worked in hospitals where I had some really high functioning department leaders who truly understood that they were running a business. It was a business within a business. And so they they got it. It was it was easier for me from the finance perspective. But um, what, what I look for and what I think our leaders in, in healthcare, really in any in in, in any industry, um, should understand they're running a business. And honestly, when you think about healthcare, I have this conversation um, quite a lot. You know, we're not hoping someone gets sick, right? But people do get sick. People do come into and they seek out quality healthcare, and and that's what we provide. So we are running a business. We're just in the business of saving people and helping people feel better. We're in the business of wellness. Doesn't mean we can't make a profit because we're nonprofit. We are in the business of taking care of people. So. Long story short, um, we I really push our leaders to really take that into account that they've got patients every day and it takes people to take care of those patients and it takes supplies and it takes um, it takes human resources to run their business. And so they've got to have a very good grasp of what that means. Do you know how to determine how many people you need to take care of the patients that you have? Do you know? Um, how to determine whether you have the right supplies in stock, that you're, the, the ordering is happening as it should happen, et cetera. Um, and then, like you said, when it comes time to, you, you need something. So you obviously are in the trenches and you're there. You are assessing the needs of your department and needs of your patients and the, name of your, the needs of your team members. So when you do have those projects or when you do have that need for additional resources, whether that's people or things, you've got to really um, have a good understanding of, well, if my unit is half full, um, what will make sense for me from a request standpoint? Like, do I have, honestly, the return on investment, whatever that's going to be, do I have all those um, elements uh, in line for this request that I'm making? If I need a piece of equipment and it's the newest, brightest, shiniest thing out there and we just have to have it, how do I support that business case? Is it going to bring in additional patients? Is, is, are we going to be able to maybe steal business from another system or another hospital in the area because they want to come to us because we have this new bright, shiny thing? 
Um, do I have a, a premier surgeon or a premier physician working for us that we, it would just be a coup if we could get that person working with us, but they need this widget. So how do I best position that request? Do I, I have to think about the people. I have to think about the, the, the resources that it will take in order for me to execute what I'm asking for. And so um, I, I just really find that making sure um, that I've helped educate those leaders on all of that, right? That they know where to get that information. They know what I'm looking for when they are asking for something. They know that I'm going to ask them about volume. I'm going to ask them about their labor, their team, the, the team that they have in place. Do they have everything they need? Do they have too much labor? Are they managing that labor well? So, um, so for me, it's about preparing them to anticipate the questions I'm going to have for them to start thinking about, you know, having that business acumen aside from their actual passion, which is taking care of patients, right? So um, it's it's a balance and, and sometimes it's tricky because, I mean, to be honest, I mean, there's a saying that I've heard ever since I became a CFO, even a controller back when I was a controller, we would call the CFO the CF no. And, and I do not like that title. I am not a CF no, but I ask questions and I ask a lot of questions and I think my team really do. They, they respect that. Um, but I'm also um, very um, willing to help educate them on the things that they may, they may not have that stellar business acumen, but let me help you get there so that the next time you've got uh, this request and then you know kind of how to put that together. Um, but again, yeah, it is a, it is a balance because in, in my industry, especially you're dealing with people, you're dealing with people at their most vulnerable point. And there is a tendency sometimes for our clinicians and our caregivers to think, you know, at all costs, we just need to take care of that patient. And then there has to be the other side of the equation where we think through, is this really the best decision for that patient that need you have? Is there an alternative? Is there something else we could be doing? So um, it, it's really important. I, I hear what you're saying. And I know it's, it, you have to think through that there are KPIs that you're looking for. It's That's right. Key performance indicators, your business case has got to be sound. Mm-hmm. And I heard you say a lot about you know, service care from the, uh, uh, the provider perspective. And I heard you mm-hmm. talk about from the patient perspective, keeping mm-hmm. that in line. Now I want to ask you from that payer world, mm-hmm. you interface with them. That payer could be the government. That payer could be different insurance agency. That payer could be directly from the patient. Mm-hmm. What are the specific challenges that you run across when you're dealing in that in that pair in that pair world, well, for um, just in general, I think when you think about reimbursement, one, it's ever changing. Every year, there's something new. Every year, there's a budget fight at a legislative level about or surrounding funding. So, you as as in my position, we have to one keep a keen eye and a keen ear to the ground to know what's going on in that legislative arena, because that impacts your budget, that impacts the, the, not the care you provide, but it impacts your ability to, to, to provide all the care you might want to. You have to think differently about how you provide that care. So 
um, from a payer perspective, some of the things we, especially here at, at, in St. Petersburg, at Bayfront Health St. Petersburg, we sit, our hospital, it's, it's over 100 years old, pillar in the community, very well known and, um, and where it's situated. It's two, three, four blocks from a food desert. And then it's two, three, four blocks from multi-million dollar condos in downtown St. Petersburg. So think about the demographics of that patient, right? And so we do have a number of patients that come through our door that don't have insurance or, or are underinsured. Um, so what we have to kind of balance and some of the things we run into is how do we take care of the financial challenge maybe for that patient who doesn't have insurance. And so one of the key things we've done, Orlando Health has uh, done from a system perspective, we have a number of resources where we, we help find patients insurance. We will pay the premium for you because it, and it doesn't even mean that you are coming back to see me. You may never come back into my hospital walls that year, but if you did and wherever you go, you at least don't have to worry about your healthcare bill um, as if you had nothing. So we just find it more uh, beneficial for us to address all the needs of a patient. You know, you have the physical needs and the healthcare need, but then there is that financial need. There is that socioeconomic uh, factor that comes into play that, you know, we, we try our best to make sure we manage that with a patient. Um, and always, you know, there's always a market share push, right? So while I, I want to be able to take care of those patients who have no means of, of financially paying for their health care, from a charity care perspective, you know, we actually have a very healthy, uh, very robust charity care policy at, within Orlando Health. So, um, so, so those patients, I think um, th- there are safeguards for them. And then, but in order for us to afford all of that, right? We've got to go after the, that commercial business. And so um, and here in St. Petersburg, there's a ton of employers. There's a huge push in our area and has been for quite a while. Um, there's a huge draw of companies coming to St. Petersburg and bringing their employees. So we've got a huge employer base. So what what's the health care um, insurance that those employers have and how can we partner with them? One, by means of getting the volume, but two, from a reimbursement and a rate perspective, making sure that we are competitive with our competitors um, and, and we actually are able to draw those patients and that those lives, if you will, to us. Um, it's, it's a challenge because here in St. Petersburg, there is, we are so saturated with hospitals. We are saturated with healthcare. You've got three major systems here. Um, and my hospital being a part of Orlando Health, but we are only one hospital here. So we're one amongst probably 20 other, that's maybe too many, one in maybe about 15, I may not be wrong, about 15 hospitals. And so, so there is that, there is that play for market share where we want that commercial patient. Um, because that helps us to afford some of the other things we need to do to take care of our patients who are the most vulnerable from a financial perspective. Um, but it, it is a challenge. You've got um, uh, orthopedics, for instance. It's it's been you know for years that you know we we keep hearing that total joints are going to go all outpatient. They're never going to be done in the hospital. So your competition now are ASCs, ambulatory surgery centers, and so from a payer perspective, that's a lower cost option. 
they're going to start to want to push their patients to those lower cost options. Take urgent cares versus um, your your regular hospital uh, emergency room. You've got employers and payers that are going to want to push patients to those lower cost options for care, which is great. You know, I do not begrudge them that. Um, but again, it's just another level of competition that we in, in the healthcare industry and the hospital industry have to deal with and, and really manage um, all, really all those dynamics, you know, making sure that one, we've got the patient in the right setting at the right time uh, for the care that they need. And when they can explore a lower cost option, great. Um, so from us, from our perspective, it's, it's, it's a play for not only having hospitals as your main setting for care, now you've got to delve into the urgent care business. And uh, we have uh, freestanding emergency rooms, which are out in the community. They're not urgent cares. They are literally an emergency department. They're just offsite um, and they're linked to your hospital. So you've, you've got to think through providing different settings of care to kind of buffer against the risk of, payers pushing business to those lower costs of care and out of your hospitals. And I also think you have to get better at how you provide that care in the hospital so that that also is a buffer against those reimbursement changes, whether it's commercial or even, or, or the government, obviously. I mean, that's governmental payers pay less than commercial payers do. So you've got to really figure out how you provide that great quality care at a cost that makes sense for the care you're providing. You don't cut corners, but you've got to be really creative about how you do it. You don't buy the most expensive widget that's out there. You, you find what you need um, and you make sure you're managing your, your labor costs, et cetera. So all the things that go into taking care of a patient, you know, you have to really think through your cost structure as well wow. to manage the risks from, from the payer and the reimbursement perspective. Uh, I'm hearing a lot that it's a, it's a it's a moving target. Mm-hmm. Things change. I hear from mm-hmm. a lot of different executives. Hey, Grant, it's budget time. We're we're putting together, you know, our budgets for the year. What does that look like? We got to get our budgets approved and right. then see what exactly. But then when you, even after that, you just maybe you got some budgets. They were approved through the uh, committee structures that are put together, and uh-huh. then you you hit the field, right? You hit the field, and the change happens. Yeah. So the budget you put together, yeah. just like COVID hit, you're like, whoa, well, you know, all our electives and the money, exactly. the flow. Perfect example. Yeah, perfect yeah. example of that. Now, let me ask you this, because here's a change that's happening, especially because I got you know, a lot of audiences, healthcare and uh, information technology. There's a big push for digital transformation, right? Mm-hmm. So you've mm-hmm. got remote patient uh, remote patient monitoring, you've got yep. now telehealth, you've got how do we you know, fix our uh, digital front door and, and really get an immersive patient experience? How mm-hmm. do you now take, when you've already got a tight budget, most hospitals, if you correct me if I'm wrong, run on like a two to maybe less than 5% margin. Mm-hmm. Now you've got all these changes and then you've got different um, initiatives that now to take up some of that budget, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And if yep. Maybe the ROI is further down the line than you would like. How do you speak to that? Um, I think 
you in this industry, really any industry, you have got to be flexible enough to pivot. You've got to, you really got to be thinking strategically about those potential budget busters. I mean, there, there's obviously things you, you just really can't do anything about COVID and, and, I'll use COVID as that example. In the midst of a budget year for us is when COVID really struck. And you do have to, you know, we had to balance against seeing lower volumes in the hospitals, especially about those um, uh, elective volumes, uh, surgeries, et cetera. We made a decision not to, not to make the choice for the patient and let the patient and the physician have those conversations, right? And so, of course, they did, and many, many patients self-selected. And so now you've got to retool your operations. You've got to think through, how do I balance against not having the volumes or the sales or whatever it may be that you expected because this thing has happened, this disruption, this major disruption has happened? And where can I where can I contract? Where can I reduce the, look at the discretionary items, the things that don't affect patient care in my, in my example, anything mission critical affecting the patient, you got to do what you got to do. But if it's travel, if it's catering, you know, if it's those controllable expenses, those controllable things, you can manage to a point that helps you to buffer that margin loss that's coming, then those are the decisions you have to make. It may not be popular, um, but those are the decisions you have to make. And then you throw the people aspect into it, which makes it even tougher. And, you know, no one ever wants to lay off workers. No one ever wants to do that. But from a business perspective, you really do have to then think, how do I reduce the largest cost on my PL by far in order to continue to um, continue to operate because you're thinking long term it's 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 not episodic it's not just the one year it's going to be how is how is this disruption going to impact the next year or the next year or the next year and what if it doesn't stop so now what am I going to do? So um, th- there's a lot of tough decisions that have to come into play when you have to pivot your plans. And knowing where you can pull those levers is really key. Have you really taken a deep dive into utilization of certain supplies? Because, and I think, you know, this makes me think, when we start to have these conversations, some of us, maybe not everyone, maybe a much more smarter you know, CFO than me probably thinks about this all the time. But you have the conversation of, oh, how do I start to control the controllables even more? Because now this disruption is happening. I've got to protect my margin. This episode is brought to you by Five Star BDM. Five Star BDM is a professional consulting and advisory group keenly focused on business development services for small to mid-sized businesses and entrepreneurs. Although every business is unique, they often share challenges that can be addressed through smart branding. Services include process improvement and operations, digital strategy and transformation, business intelligence, digital marketing, and personal branding. Our five-star business and personal branding company has helped a number of professionals and organizations to optimize and grow. The result is more business, more opportunities, better reach, 
positive outcomes. Please visit www.5starbdm.com to learn more and view all the episodes of Follow the Brand. Why would you, those are really the conversations you should have all the time, mm-hmm. but they start to make you think, ooh, let's look at supply utilization of X and start to figure out, do I have, in my perspective, clinical variation among our providers? Are we doing things very differently across five different physicians for the same patient with the same acuity, with the same diagnosis? And if so, why? But that's the kind of the, I don't want to call it a rabbit hole, but that's the the path you start to take is how can I find the the variation or the, mm, what's the word? How can I find, um, I'll call it, the, I'll say the variation, the, that variation in my, in my, um, in my PNL that I wasn't even looking for before. I probably should have always been looking for it, but now let's start to dig deep and figure out where we can start to remove some costs that really doesn't even need to be uh, in the system in the first place. Um, so yeah, I hope I answered your question. I feel like I'm rambling now. You, you, you're getting there. Because here's my, so I hear the cost structure. You've got to really get a keen eye on cost and what you're investing in, what you need may need to divest in. Yeah, yes. And then my, right. what part of my question was around information technology. Usually mm-hmm. in a healthcare system, IT is a cost. Say, hey, yeah. you know what? no matter how you want to slice and dice it, I'm paying for this cost. Now you look for those enablements, like, well, I pay for this, but it enables me to generate this type of revenue. You've got to right. marry that with something. Right. So my uh, That was the other question. So you see mm-hmm. a lot in the, in the healthcare industry about digital transformation. Mm-hmm. What, how are you, how, how are you investing in digital transformation? Then what, at what cost? I mean, what do you have to divest in order to, mm-hmm. to generate that new revenue stream? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the ways we have, and thank you for that reminder. One of the ways we have uh, invested and we've been doing it for a while, um, but from a telemedicine perspective where you can, you know, use an app on your phone and you have a cough or you have what you think might be a sinus infection. And, you know, you can go on your app and you can um, make an appointment to talk to a doctor to talk about instead of going to, say, um, your local um, quick clinic or something that's in, in a um, convenience store or one of your grocery stores. Um, so we've invested in that technology. Um, we've invested in technology um, from a operational standpoint where we've got carts that instead of hiring a number of, say, intensivists or a specific, you know, uh, a, a physician to have coverage overnight, we've got the ability to use uh, uh, carts, iPads, where um, when uh, when when the the intensivist needs to uh, talk with a specialist or overnight, the the physician. Um, physician assistant or the RMP needs to connect with a, a physician at night about a patient's uh, condition. You know, we, we do have technology where you can contact that physician. They can see the patient, they can talk to the patient, they can talk to you, they can talk to the, the consulting physician. Um, and, and that technology wasn't always reimbursed, right? So I think COVID brought about um, 
some changes in in the reimbursement. Back to that earlier question, some changes in the reimbursement structure where uh, because people didn't want to get out. Um, they didn't want to be around other people. They wanted to to be safe, and 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 doctors' offices were closed, et cetera. Um, that type of technology was uh, now uh, had the ability to be reimbursed. So we we do have huh. that level of technology at play right now. We've had it for quite a while. Um, I mean, you think about the cost benefit of having. Uh, an intensive is on call uh, overnight at two o'clock, eight, you know, 2 a.m., not at home in bed, but you're able to connect with that person. The, the, the cost structure of that availability, to your point, that is less expensive than actually having a person hired and in the building, maybe in a sleep room because what they're not needed, but you need the coverage. So those those are the ways um, off the top of my head. A couple of ways that we have uh, instituted uh, technology um, to just help us do our job better. Um, most recently, and lots of most most recently, um, my hospital went through a software implementation. Our entire system went through a software implementation for our comprehensive health records. So our, you know, everything we do with and for a patient is on on one platform for the entire system. And obviously that was not cheap. And so that's one where you don't immediately recognize a return on investment of the entire purchase price, right? It's more so about making uh, the ability to provide care seamless, um, simple when a patient may go to a, a doctor's office, one doctor's office uh, for a specific specialist, and you you were just in the hospital. That ability to for that um, primary care physician to see your record, see your most recent say, and see everything that happened. That and and in me as a patient, I don't have to request records and bring them with me or have them sent to the office. So it made it more seamless. Um, ties in, you know, all of your providers um, within, you know, just a digital reach, digital fingertip. So that was a really big investment we we recently made over the last maybe 20 months now. That, that's wonderful. And I'm glad to see that, uh, you know, you're investing in, you know, you're looking at uh, IT as an enabler. You know, there yes. is an initial cost, but the cost, you know, the benefit, as you said, you know, we're going to be able to do more with less. Right. It's something that you consider a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to ask you this question, and that's around, because I've seen, I just don't see a lot of women in finance. I don't see a lot of people of color in, in, in finance, you know, at, at, that, at that higher level. However, finance touches all these different aspects of the business. Mm-hmm. And one thing I'm just listening to you you're you 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 understand the operations. You understand human resources. You understand all these executive uh, uh, decisions that need to be made from a finance uh, department. How do you then educate uh, those that are in these different silo departments to understand holistically mm-hmm. uh, the what you're looking at from a, from a finance executive? How does that look like? And then just give us some some context around. If you were in their shoes, you're now, you know, a middle management, you know, director level, or you're you know, just in management or early careers, what mm-hmm. they need to truly know from a finance. Like, hey, this is something you need in your in your quiver to understand how you can propel yourself forward. 
Right. I answer the last question because that's the the one <laughs> I'm remembering it first, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I think a real key key element to understanding finance or financial operations is is understanding your your specific um, key indicators, right? What are the things that um, what are the things that help drive your operation? So, you know, knowing, you know, how many patients we see, knowing um, how many um, how many team members you have, how much labor you need, you know, having having an understanding of just all of the, the elements it takes to run your business unit is, is truly key. So I, I, I intentionally, um, one, I have to really change the language because again, not everyone understands all the acronyms and things, right? So I have to, to write and speak in such a way when I'm talking about financial operations so that they do understand when I'm talking about patient acuity, I'm talking about how sick your patient is. I'm talking about the types of patients that you're seeing. Or if I'm talking about um, average length of stay and how long a patient is staying with us, I'm giving them the context for the longer that patient stays past the expected time they're supposed to be here, it becomes um, a, a it, be, it becomes less and less, I don't use this word, but less and less profitable. It costs us more to take care of this patient when what we're going to, what we're going to make on that, that, uh, that admission is not going to change. So it's helping them understand, you know, if we aren't properly um, moving a patient through the care continuum, how all of those specific um, um how that kind of cogs up, cogs up the system. And what that means, it means I can't get another patient from the ED that's up to a bed. If we can't get the patient that's upstairs well and healed and through the system in a timely way, if we don't recognize if something else is going on with that patient that we need to maybe raise a red flag um, and, and have attention paid faster. Okay. So yeah, so understanding kind of all the different elements that impact um, how they perform their functions, you know, that, you know, I try to relate to them all of the, I try to speak to them in a way that they, they help understand, you know, what they're doing and how it does impact the business itself. For as an example, um, one of the things we work on right now is uh, patient flow. And so from a patient flow perspective, if I don't have great processes in, in our emergency room where the patient can be seen, treated, if they're going to go home, be discharged, make sure that happens timely, they're going to end up upstairs um, and, and making sure that that happens timely as well. So um, then making sure once they are upstairs that we're moving that patient through the care continuum, getting them discharged at home or wherever they're going to go for post-acute care as quickly as is possible based on what's going on with that patient. So I try to use those examples when I'm talking about length of stay, when I'm talking about how sick their patient is, when I'm talking about how much labor they're spending, spending, utilizing, you know, as they're doing their job um, and how all of that impacts the financials. If you're using too much labor, 
for the patients that you have or for the volume that you have, let more labor than you need. Let me say it that way. More labor than you need based on benchmarks and things. I use, I use that a lot, actually benchmarking so that it, they understand it's not what I'm saying. It's here are some industry standards. Here are what our peers are doing that have a similar uh, patient acuity in a similar setting with a similar bed size. Here's how these five other hospitals are able to do this with this amount of people or these resources or this length of stay. So let's figure out how we can do that too. And it leads to that process improvement work, which is great. So I think when we can frame the financial operational pieces around the processes and the things they're doing, it helps them understand better um, how what they do impacts operations. And I think it helps them understand better as well what those key indicators mean. I could be talking about how many surgeries we have for a day, but if you don't know how many we need, how many surgeries do we need a day in order to stay in the black for the month, right? How much volume you need to see, um, how much less supply utilization or unnecessary supply utilization we may have, how, how we manage all of those aspects, what that means to us from a financial perspective, how, how certain cases, you think about uh, case mix, the types of patients, the types of services we're providing. Do we have um, a lot of low-risk surgical volume? And if we do, then this is what that means versus if we have a lot of higher ri- higher rates, excuse me, higher rate surgical volume, this is what that means. So when we're talking strategy about volumes, we're, we're, we want to be a comprehensive care facility, right? We want to be able to provide everything that's going to be needed, but we also want to know that you know, we need to, um, you know, no margin, no mission, right? So we've got to be providing the right types of care um, so that we can provide all the care that, that's going to be needed in the community. I have to really think about what that is. Man, um, from a diversity... Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Let, oh. Let's talk to me because what you just said there is your expertise. I mean, you understand financial modeling. You understand healthcare, you understand, you know, what, what reimbursement models look like, and you understand timing. And mm-hmm. you, like I said, you have a whole nother language when it comes to uh, finance, financial business acumen mm-hmm. that maybe others do not have, but you probably want to encourage them to, and you need at least have it understanding. You don't have to be an expert, right. but you need to understand that, and that's going to help you operationally. Now, mm-hmm. you're going to talk about diversity and inclusion, specifically for women and people of color in finance. So, mm-hmm. Help us frame that story. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There, there are not a lot of uh, diverse executives, um, especially in the healthcare, healthcare space, especially in the financial um, healthcare space. And so it is. It's. It can be difficult. I mean, I think from my perspective, I've always, I've always. Um, sought out those that, regardless of race, sought out those that I thought could help me from a professional standpoint. And so as you ascend to to these executive, these just leadership levels, I mean, I like to see it at our department level leadership as well. It's not just at that executive level. You don't see it in a lot of places. And depending on your your location, you you may not see it. It's it's more of a, a a um, deliberate effort 
to make it happen. So, um, you know, we've got actually, I didn't know this, um, but in the history of Orlando Health, I'm the first black executive at that C-suite level in our hospitals that we've had. I I just didn't know that, Um, which kind of sounds crazy, but it's the truth. And so for me, I I think it's a, it, it is a responsibility, I feel, to then help cultivate that same um, leadership in those that I see that have the ability, that look like me, uh, especially women, but especially Black women. Um, because like you said, you don't see it a lot. I, I believe um, it's incumbent upon us to, ex- ex- to expose our children to these types of industries because they don't, if you don't see it, then you you don't know that it could happen. If you don't, I didn't have anyone in my family that was an executive in any business and whatever they were doing, no one was an executive. We all just had jobs, blue collar family, couple white collar, couple of white collar jobs in, in the family, but that was it. So it's it's really about, um, you know, if if you are so fortunate to kind of push your way to the top, you know, you make yourself you know you do a great job. You know, I, I don't think first and foremost about my ethnicity when I'm doing my job, but it 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 is a constant reminder when I'm in a room and I'm the only one that looks like me in that room. And so that's when it's kind of the 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 reminder of, oh, well, we've got to do better more to make sure I'm not the only person in the room. So when those, you know, if I'm involved in interviews around our system or, or if it's in, in the community and we have those diverse candidates or we don't, one, it's incumbent upon us to, to ask those questions. Like, where did we look for them? Um, that's, I, I distinctly remember growing up um, when I was in college and I was a part of the National Association of Black Accountants, which I am still now. It's actually how I got my first job. But you had companies who came to their conference because they knew that was going to be a massive opportunity to really access those diverse candidates that do exist. We exist, but you've got to put forth that effort to find them. So, so it's 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 a continuing endeavor. I'm seeing more and more uh, through through Nasi even. You know, um, that's that was great, a great reminder to me that, no, we really do exist. Um, there's more than just what I do see. There's more across our, our country, but we have to, I think, continually push and connect with, um, you know, schools and colleges to, to showcase what we do um, and, and make, uh, from a knowledge standpoint, those students understand and know that these that this job exists or this path exists, and help to cultivate that. Well, I tell you, Latasha, we're coming to the to the end of the podcast, and you've been sharing just stellar knowledge uh, about the industry, about finance, why it's important, and and look to involvement. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is at the point where I always try to do it, like to do it in my show, where I kind of unplug and let you speak just directly to the to my audience. And when I when I say that, I mean, I want you to be able to talk to that early careers that yeah. maybe have now got their MHA and they're in mm-hmm. their in the industry, they're doing certain things, 
but they haven't really focused on finance, or they haven't got a lot of that, what would you encourage them to now pick up either certifications or opportunities or experience mm-hmm. that will help round out their particular career track? Mm-hmm. I think these days, from an education standpoint, the rules are different now from when I was uh, in college where I, I like, I don't have a master's. I, my choice was to seek uh, and pass the, the CPA exam. That was my main thing. And in my mind, I figured if I at least had my CPA, because to me that, that can be more important than it, than that MBA, because if you get into um, your career and you, you have that the job where you have a lot of opportunity, you can learn things. To me, that's where you, that that's, I earned my MBA on, in the field, right? But today, I think um, you, companies are looking for differentiators. And I might actually, um, what I'm thinking about here now is I have been practicing to not just seek out, if I'm hiring, seek out that candidate that has an experience that's like mine. Because really, you're looking for diversity in thought. And if you are, if you're looking for a role in finance in some way, whether it's accounting, whether it's healthcare finance, whether it's operational uh, in nature, I would suggest really thinking about how you can be a differentiator. And that might be seeking out just a completely different job not the the track that I went on and so many others like me went on. You you may not need to go the audit route, right? You may not need to go the um the entry level accounting role in, in private industry. Um, and if you have an idea about the kind of work you want to do, the kind of industry you want to be in, I would suggest even pivoting to something that is within the same vein, but maybe it's in manufacturing. Um, I I think that can provide a different perspective to you um, from from an education standpoint. You know, you've got your master's and whatever that if it is, if it is an MHA, that's great. But um, the fact that you have it, you know, have your degrees, then you're clearly trainable in, in, in many, many things. Um, but having some type of alternative experience could actually be a differentiator for you. Um, I, I fell into my career by way of my bookkeeping class in high school. And so if I were to do it all over again, I can't say I would have chosen anything differently, but I think I would have been more deliberate in how I sought to, um, attack my career path. I, I chose the the typical route. I just knew what I didn't want to do, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I chose the routes that I thought gave me the best and broadest opportunities, which isn't bad. But um, if you can, I don't know, fail fast, right? Just try it. Be bold. Be bold in your thinking about um, and, and be open to just trying things because they're not going to be the end of the world. Um, one of the reasons why I do have an accounting degree, because I figure I will always have a job. It may not be as an executive, but I will always have a job. 
So I can have a job. So you have opportunities to just really explore some different uh, industries, some different types of jobs. Maybe it's something in compliance. Maybe it um, doesn't have to be tax. It doesn't have to be audit. Maybe it's forensic accounting. Oh my gosh. Maybe you're working for the FBI. Like seek out those other things that you, or seek people who can help you, help expose you to those things. Cause you may not obviously inherently know them, but you know, get on, get online and do that research and really, really look to see what's out there before you settle on what you think you want to do. That, that might be the best advice I could give. That's stellar advice. Yeah. Uh, very good advice to help people to be more broad and be able to pivot and look at things holistically, seek mm-hmm. outside even industry. I like how you made that point. You know, And I've seen a lot of that now in the healthcare industry, that they're seeking other things as they look to how do we enhance patient experience. And so they're starting to look mm-hmm. into hospitality and retail mm-hmm. experiences that mm-hmm. might help you know, from a healthcare perspective. So mm-hmm. I like that. So if the and audience can I was... Say, oh, can I say one more thing? Yeah. Um, what, I, what I would also say too is don't only think about the finance aspect of the role. And because part part of my job, and really I think part of any good CFO's job or finance executive's job is really understanding, and you mentioned this earlier, really understanding the operations. If you understand how it works, that helps inform your decision-making from a financial perspective. If you're only making decisions based on your financial knowledge, then you've missed 80% of what's going on. And it doesn't allow you to really employ the resources in the way that are most beneficial for whatever the initiative may be. So I, I would also suggest really understand, it's probably the audit in me, but understanding how things work all those elements, the same things that I want to teach and want to push for my leaders of, of understanding how it all work, works and comes into play on the finance side. I, as a finance executive, have to understand how it all works on the operational side in order for me to make the best decision. So seek, be, be inquisitive about that as well. And, and don't just make decisions based on the numbers because sometimes the numbers give you the answer you want but they are not the best use of that resource in the way that you're thinking wow man that that, i like to hear that coming from a finance executive Mm -hmm. to say the numbers aren't always don't always tell the whole picture that's right i think that uh, that's important to to note but justify everything and being Mm -hmm. able to speak intelligently about the the situation that you're trying to change I think is huge. So if, if the audience wants to get in touch with you, what is what is the best way? I would say the best way for me right now is to find me on LinkedIn at Latasha Barnes. Um, I'm not on on YouTube or excuse me, I'm not on Facebook anymore. Uh, but it, LinkedIn would be the would be the best way. Excellent, excellent. We'll, we'll definitely uh, do that. This has been wonderful. Thank you for your time, and um, I, I just appreciate everything that you shared today. Um, so go ahead. No, I was just going to say thank you um, and, and for allowing me to share. And I, I hope it's useful for your audience and um, and, and for, for, for the series that you have uh, started on and uh, that it was just useful information all around. So I really. Oh, it, it is uh, without question. We, we look at these things as a, a library of knowledge 
that'll live with, uh, especially within the follow brand. And uh, you can look at all the different episodes at www.5starbdm. That's B for brand, B for development, and for masters.com. And the whole point of that is that we have a living body of knowledge and, and experience that we can share. So whether it's from a personal brand perspective, uh, uh, business development, career development, and financial empowerment, we are here to really help our newer generation take hold, take root, and to grow and flourish into uh, our society. So thank you very much again. Awesome. Thank you. All righty. Well, you take care. Bye-bye. You too.